You're listening to Masters of Digital Transformation, brought to you by AIM10X and hosted by Tony Salzana. Welcome to Masters of Digital Transformation. I'm your host, Tony Saldana, and each episode we bring you practical and provocative insights into some of the top challenges around digital transformation with a specific emphasis in planning. And as always, our goal is to equip you with the best practitioner information to keep you ahead of competition. And today, I have to say I'm incredibly excited to introduce Dr. Dirk Holbach, SVP of Global Supply Chain for the Laundry and Home Care Division at Henkel. Because with 25 years of industry experience, Dirk's key contributions have been in the area of supply chain strategy and organization development, network optimization, and post-merger integrations. And of course, most recently, the digital transformation of the organization itself. And so I'm excited. Welcome to the podcast, Dirk. Hi, Tony. Thanks for having me here today. Really a pleasure. Oh, the pleasure is going to be all ours, as our listeners will be able to tell very quickly, because you're a person with incredible insights and with a lot of very unique perspectives. And as always, we try to get to the man behind the scenes, and you in particular have an interesting background. If you wouldn't mind introducing yourself from the time you entered the industry all the way to today. Yeah, thank you, Tony, again. That would be normally a longer story, so I try to keep it short. So I studied some time back uh, mechanical engineering, also did an MBA and also a PhD degree in IT. So let's say a relatively broad approach. I started in a company mid of the 90s in purchasing procurement. Not really what I studied, so as a mechanical engineer, quite unusual. Pretty fascinated at that time about the opportunities the company provided in that area, building up really a global purchasing function. I did that for a couple of years. I was then also in Mexico, engaged in building up um, our business there, uh, Mm. two acquisitions. Coming back then, running uh, the global purchasing for the loan and home care business for four years. And then I I moved over to to supply chain with the intention also to, let's say, broaden my skill set. First in a global role again. At that time, we did quite some heavy footprint uh, redesign, restructuring, turnaround, of the supply chain. And then since 2014, I'm in my current role, as you said, uh, running the end-to-end supply chain for the laundry and home care business, survey-free factories, close to 50 warehouses. And Yeah. yeah, we are moving a good 12 million pallets per year in and out, trying to make our consumers and customers happy every day. That's a fascinating career over different experiences. And I have to ask you this, what are you most proud of in that entire career? Very good question. I would say I mentioned Mexico. I was there for two years. That was really a very difficult situation. The business one was in there at that time. I recently acquired two businesses in 2002, not doing very well at all. And mm-hmm. here in a great team effort, we really turned around the business. So with the colleagues of supply chain, business marketing, also let's say building the team in order to take over then. So that was, I would say, one very important milestone. Uh, leaving a clear footprint. And then, of course, a lot of things we did in the area of organization development in combination with uh, digital over the last years. So really, you see how the entire organization, and we are talking about several thousand people, are really developing and changing over time. And that is also something you don't do in a month or in a quarter. Uh, You need to have some clear idea and vision, and then also energy, passion, 
drive a lot of resources and, of course, a great team to make that happen. So I would say these two examples should be a good starting point. Oh, they are fantastic. Not just starting points, but they're fantastic perspectives. Dirk, when you and I spoke a few days ago, you talked about how you used to think of perfection, getting things right, was, of course, very important. And in business and in life, of course, it is very important. But through this particular journey a few years ago, you've got this insight that I really like that the people that you work with are as, if not more important than that. And I want you to talk about what drove that mindset shift for you. What we touched upon was two particular points. Of course, again, looking at my professional background and my personality, I want to do the things right, very clear. And uh, let's say many years back, I realized in our industry, not everything has to be perfect. Sometimes Mm. you have to be simply fast. Mm. And then if you hit often enough the nail, that can also help. And of course, I cannot do everything myself. So I think uh, that was something I realized probably 15 plus minus years ago when my teams got larger and the first global roles. That really um, was a turning point. And then I think, of course, that shaped uh, me as a person. Then, of course, you look for the people around you in order to make things happen. And I saw it now during COVID times, of course, with my leadership team, we had daily multiple interactions and so on. But of course, they were running their part of the business. I I was, of course, trying to help wherever I could. But yeah, that is, I think, an ideal state. So if I'm away, the things are still running. I think it's a good measure. What it also taught me, of course, nowadays people call MVPs and Agile Uh and so on. Uh Absolutely great, fantastic. Also, no rocket science, not new in essence. So just to describe it in my humble words, which again... Now you would call it agile, whatever you want. That is probably five, six, seven years back. And we were not aware of that, but it was just common sense. And again, based on a certain life experience, myself, but also my colleagues here were Mm. able to together. Oh, that's amazing. And of course, you do have a very unique perspective because you actually have education in, in IT. And of course, as you run supply chain, you're able to blend some of this together. And I, I do want to spend a lot more time on digital. But before I go there, I want to take a quick detour into sustainability because oh, yeah. you're uniquely known both on the personal as well as the professional front for the work you do in sustainability. So I want our listeners to hear about both your professional experience, but then also your personal experience here. Yeah, that is a a very important topic also close to my heart. And I usually say what triggered this mindset and thinking within myself was how my grandparents taught me how to deal with nature. So Mm -hmm. they were pretty normal people, but already 50 years ago, they grew their vegetables, food, more like, I would say like a hobby, but in their garden without any pesticides and fertilizers and so on. And that was something which obviously had an impact on me. And I'm trying also to design my private life, the life of my family in a CO2 neutral way. 10, 15 years ago, we invested already in the latest technology, solar panels. Um, Since uh, a few months back, I could say our family is CO2 neutral. So electric cars, renewable energy. So I think that is a story as such, but that of course also drove my personal action when mm-hmm. it comes to sustainability in the company, is very much active in that area since um, almost three decades now. And we have been driving eco-efficiency in our uh, manufacturing supply chain really systematically over the last 15 years, taking out uh, 65% of CO2 emissions in that time, which is quite a considerable amount. We could supply uh, three, three and a half million people one year with electricity. And over the last few years, 
we have been more and more systematically leveraging digital for a purpose in that context, creating real-time visibility on energy consumption, of course, using in the meantime also some smart algorithms to really get even more out of the data, change behavior, and the company targets to be climate positive um, until 2040. But uh, believe me, our internal ambition in the lawn and home care supply chain is we want to beat this. That doesn't mean that we have already all plans in place, but uh, ambition is there and the team is very motivated. And that is, of course, also the other thing, what we see as a leadership team going beyond just making a good business yeah, yeah. Um, is engaging a lot of people in the organization. Yeah, So that is, uh, is really great. And the response we get on that one is really superb. From that point of view, we will continue that journey for sure do good to the world, both at a personal and professional level. This is something that I really admire, I think. Putting your personal stamp in what happens in professional life is, of course, very important. So thank you for that. Now, for the moment, I'm sure a lot of listeners have been waiting for, let's talk about your digital journey. You mentioned that, obviously, digital has been a a, a part of your life for a very long time. Tell us a little more about the digital journey, how it came about, and then how you've taken that into entirely new levels. Yeah, also that, of course, could fill minimum one podcast. So interesting enough, the starting point uh, was about sustainability and eco-efficiency. Oh, okay. So that was the trigger. Why? In 2011, the new ISO 50001 energy norm, energy management norm, Mm. was published. At that time, we certified within five months the first Henkel production site, end of 11, with the 50,001, and within less than two years, all our laundry, or almost all our laundry factories. Mm. But in the process, in 2012 already, I said, okay, it's great. Now we have this certification. What is it about? It identifies the biggest energy consumers, which kind of machines, and so on. So you know where you should look at. Mm. But then, of course, the next question is, how do you measure? And uh, the idea, the vision was born, okay, yeah, you can put their meter and send people and read it out um, every, I don't know, two weeks or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I said, okay, let's say the digital opportunities came up more and more. Topics like smart factory also, you heard here and there. The idea was, hey, I want to have a screen in my office where they have a world map, all the sites, and then I can see what's going on in terms of energy consumption. Set and done. It took us almost two years. <laughs> so wow. we started the journey and one, one and a half years later, We had that all set up and drove, let's say, very significant incremental improvements uh, on the energy um, efficiency. But also, after some time, we were asking ourselves the question, okay, now we have this great backbone. What else can we do with it? Can't I use it also for quality data? That was the next thing. So we added some visual inspection systems, connected them, started to use it. And that's how we were incrementally leveraging this infrastructure over time. And uh, we have thousands of devices in the meantime, machines, other things connected to this, what we call digital backbone. So really Mm -hmm. the manufacturing part and driving benefits, 250, 280 filling lines with real-time OE line monitors, whatever you want. Around about 20,000 reports are generated every day where individuals are extracting data. So that's what we monitor. And in parallel in 2017, I had a couple of really smart colleagues in the team that said, yeah, but what we are doing there, we could also do, let's say, more on the the classic supply chain side. So looking at demand planning, forecasting, supply planning, then logistics, downstream customer service. So here in parallel, we built up the other digital platform, which we internally call Wellspring, 
So in a nutshell, at the very beginning, we did not really know what we were doing there, which yeah. kind of opportunities yeah. we created. But yeah. of course, we are leveraging them systematically over time. So I think that is also one learning. The moment you start doing something in the field of digital, you can never already know what is possible with a piece of technology or a new digital opportunity. So here, it's really about trying out, learning, and then connect these different applications systematically. And by that, we generate more value. I think what you've done in creating this digital backbone is that you've created the foundation of something big that you can build in because it's not just built vertically in terms of more data and analytics and you know artificial intelligence, but also build horizontally because as you connect consumer information, that essentially becomes the foundation of a really, really a big interconnected ecosystem. So congratulations. I think you guys had the foresight to understand that the backbone that you build specifically for energy could essentially be repurposed for a whole bunch of other signals to go on sure. top of that. So at this point in time, what are the new kind of signals that you're starting to put into the backbone? Yeah, to give you one concrete example, also linked again with sustainability and technology. So at the moment, we are fully digitalizing. Powder detergent is being produced using very high temperature. I would say 400 plus centigrade. And then you spray a paste in and then it's dried. Very energy intensive. The yield rate of these spray drying towers is in terms of energetic, not very high. So that means a lot of opportunity to optimize. And what we do is we really measure now beyond what is normally programmed in the SPC and how to run the tower, of course. Let's say values and then try to learn, feed an expert system with some smart algorithms and really learn and try to optimize set points, not in a real-time way, but in a closer to real-time way, mm -hmm. uh, really optimizing energy consumption. That is one bigger topic at the moment. And then it's also a lot about quality control, uh, in-process control, really with direct feedback loops, getting the link into planning, starting to connect our OEE, available capacity measurement by line, by format with our planning parameters, which usually, again, only talking about us, we looked at, I don't know, maybe once a year in the budget <laughs> process. And then you say a certain format has a certain set speed on the line. And usually the factories are very conservative. And what we saw here is that we have a, a roughly a 7% average unused capacity here because oh, the set speeds are lower than the real yeah. demonstrated speeds. Yeah. So we hardwired that now into our planning system. So yeah, trying to connect the dots um, even more. And uh, maybe one last example where we are going now live uh, broadly is in Europe, we are printing already a unique 2D matrix code on each and every item we produce. Okay. So it's really a serialized code. So every code is singular. Again, no rocket science for pharma yeah. and so yeah. on. But yeah. for us as poor CPG, we have no money. We found a very inexpensive way to do it. The charming thing is once I print the code, and of course, on the line, I know exactly which bottle, for instance, it is. I can connect all parameters uh, along that uh, specific item based on our digital backbone with this item. So I can really have, a, let's say, a full track and trace capability in the entire value chain with this possibility. So, And then I, you know, I go to the trade, I scan it, and then I know exactly what happened with this specific device. We do it in combination with a legal requirement, which is kicking in in the EU 
uh, next year, but we are leveraging that opportunity to print this code on top. And then I think here is another example where I usually say to the colleagues, we do not yet know what we can do with that. That's right. Um, That's right. We, we, we did it more or less for internal purposes. And yeah. you have a quality topic, you yeah. can... Yeah. You don't have the batch number, need the batch number any, anymore, but you can be much more precise. Of course, having that one, this code printed and readable only for us, no one else can do anything yeah. with it. Yeah. But maybe also there is a potential future use on the customer side. On the, the consumer software. side, yes. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. By the way, product counterfeiting is yeah. Uh, yeah. not yeah. possible anymore. You can equip, tell the consumer, hey, exactly. if you scan the code, I can tell you whether this yeah. is a product, which is a real one. Yeah. Again, maybe not so super relevant for our products yet but just an indication again for uh, let's say possibilities we do not yet know which no, may come absolutely with that. And, and that's the yeah. that's really the beauty of creating digital backbones isn't it because i think once you do that the use cases are immense you're just limited by your imagination on what's possible there uh, maybe add one more one more aspect is of course as we are collecting uh, more and more data also in specific applications, machine learning mm. uh, capabilities to, to simply process these big amounts of data when you have exactly very high uh, read rates, of course, I don't know, every two, three seconds, yeah. you measure certain parameters. And of course, let's say the human brain, even though you support it via analytics capabilities is limited. Yeah. And here we are applying more and more, let's say, smart um, algorithms to derive potential learnings. So I clearly see this also reflected in uh, the one or the other hiring we did over the last two years. So also mm -hmm. reinforcing the team with that specific knowledge. Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And starting to open up another piece of conversation that I've been looking forward to because you've done some very interesting things in iterating through projects and processes and culture and technology and data architecture. So Dirk, what do you consider to be some of the most important criteria for success when you do digital transformation in supply chains? Yeah, I would mention first the, yeah, I wouldn't call it a soft factor, but it's about people. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. The, the people dimension, definitely, it's not about technology because technology, it's available in abundance. You buy it exactly. uh, and then you have it. And then yeah. the question is, what are you doing with it? So yeah. here, I'm um, really having a clear view on, on that aspect, not overloading the organization with too many new things, engaging uh, the teams when you're designing or fitting to purpose new technology, having pilot sites. And again, sometimes also the conclusion is it doesn't help. Okay, then you have to stop it. So also here, next point is then managing a decent portfolio of activities, yeah. not trying to do too many things at a time, yeah. uh, because again, the organization will not be able to digest it. Yeah. Here, what helped us is also having a frame. So we, we have also fixed a few years back four technology areas where we believed at that time and still believe we find a lot of things which help us, sensorics, analytics, uh, robotics, mm. and visualization, mm. a bit also replicating a human being so you you mm -hmm. feel and you see and you process data and of course we're adding one more dimension is all the end-to-end -end connections also mm -hmm. here this having this frame always regularly looking at this and i will do this with my team in a few days um, again looking at our roadmap and then checking hey are we still on track uh, with the different initiatives reprioritizing i think that is extremely important then one more aspect when it comes to benefits of course at the end of the day you have to create a pull in the organization yeah. if people don't see the benefit they will not use it if the yeah. benefit is there things will fly and what we also try to do is as already mentioned 
piloting on small scale, usually mm -hmm. very pragmatically. And then of course, also in many cases, you invest some money, but it's, don't get me wrong, but it's not millions what you need, yeah. but I don't know, 50,000, 100,000, 200,000, yeah. where you can say a business like us, we should be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. But also running the risk that maybe yeah, things don't turn out to be successful. Luckily, in a lot of cases, they are. And these pilots, uh, usually two, three sites where we do this, yeah. enable us to build then really a viable business case. Yeah. Yeah. So because you have a relatively overseeable area um, of action, and then you build up a business case, the investment behind and then end, um, and scale up. Um, we usually try to scale up within 12 to 18 months, a certain topic on a global scale. Sometimes it's even faster. Mm. in order to really then also generate the benefits for the business. So here, my experience is don't try to think too big because yeah. you can get lost. Of course, there are sometimes topics which are really large. So at the moment, we are looking into our next generation end-to-end -end planning platform. And, and of course, here you are touching many aspects along the supply chain. And yeah. of course, it's a big business case. It's also a big investment. Yeah. But in many other cases, you can really focus it on a focused area and then yeah. also with very tangible benefits, which also do not need to be and should also not be always bottom line benefits. It's good that you can save some money, yes? Yeah, but yeah, sometimes yeah. or many times you have also other benefits like time to market, sustainability or safety, yeah. where anyway for safety, no price is high enough. So then of course, bottom line aspects do not play then the major role. Rather, does this really contribute to make our operations day to day a bit safer? Like for instance, also AGVs, yes. uh, the latest generation of AGVs, of course they have a financial benefit, but yeah. the, the safety benefit Oh, it's, yeah. it's tremendous because yeah. you can practically run your production touchless. Yeah, so yeah, it's that exactly. no forklifts anymore, which at least in our company, one of the main sources of trouble, I would yes. say. So what's fascinating about this particular story, Dirk, is that unlike most of the companies that kind of think of digital transformation as a big program and the actual execution, they think of as one big project, one technology, one platform, what I found unique about the way you do this is you truly run this like a portfolio, how yeah. you actually iterate and you do small pilots and then based on criteria, which to your point may or may not be always bottom line or, or financial, but it could be other criteria as well. But based on a set criteria, you are very able and willing to kill efforts and then to scale others. And that mindset, that process, that execution methodology actually has not permeated into supply chain digitization or for that matter, most large enterprises. So you're one of the best examples that I've come across. And, and obviously it's working for you as, as you talked about digital backbone and some of those. Now, obviously you're always working with a specific technology architecture. So talk to me a little more about how technology and data and the ability to interconnect plays into this approach. I think you're touching a very important point. Just to give an indication, so we are running, let's say on a global scale, a portfolio of 50, 60 different, call it application cases, mm. which you could distinguish. Sometimes it's also getting harder and harder to distinguish the cases, but yeah. more or less to give an orientation. And I think one of our principles is once we decide on a certain solution, it's mm. the solution. There is no other. So mm. when it comes mm. to, for instance, inline process uh, quality control with optical systems, we have one supplier, one solution, and of course, the ability to replicate then fast that and roll it out fast globally 
is very much linked to this. And then we stick also with that technology for, let's say, three, four, five years, a bit like iPhones. I use this yes. example. You buy the iPhone 6, yes. you jump over the 7, then you buy the 8 again because yes. two years later, so many things have changed. So yes. that's a bit the way how we try to do it not, let's say, messing around with too many different mm -hmm. technology providers. What yeah. we then, of course, upgrade are the different, we chose it in a way that whatever sensor I can connect, mm -hmm. I'm flexible. So again, mm -hmm. that this backbone is stable, running, and then I add on different uh, solutions which may change over time. And, and that's the balance we try to strike. Again, there is no optimum. I think we are all learning on yeah. a continuous basis, but that is a bit our approach. And by the way, I've seen also other great examples where also on single sites, yeah. um, companies have driven 100, 150, 200 pilots uh, and use cases. I think you can still manage that on a site maybe when you have a large yeah. business, yes. Yes. but on a global scale, I would say it's practically impossible. And by the way, because out of these pilots, out of each of them, something big yeah. will be created. From that point of view, again, we're trying to, and maybe we may change our approach, strike uh, this balance. And by the way, at the moment, we are discussing with the one or the other external, I wouldn't say consultant, but looking at our approach and what we could do even better and different uh, going forward. But for the time being, yeah, we are running, I would say, still fast enough, but of course, creating benefits yeah, at the end of the day. As I said before, technology as such, nice, but you need to create yeah. a continuous and tangible benefit out of it. Absolutely. And ideally, um, yeah. I try to leverage then whatever good I have in my hands on a global scale. And yeah. again, that doesn't mean that we do each and everything in all sites, depending yeah. on the technology that may vary, but usually 60, 70, 80% rate that you would achieve. And what's amazing about this is that you always have a clear game plan in mind. You just described many elements of that. You've got a platform. Some of the actual applications, the microservices and other capabilities will change and evolve. You've got that established from an architectural stack standpoint. And then you have the methodology, which is portfolio-related experiment, get rid of some stuff very quickly. And then when you standardize, you scale, you use technology in the same family. And then obviously continue to optimize business value. And it is that clear game plan in mind in supply chain that really makes all of the difference. In my experience, as I've worked across different companies and supply chains, between success and a lack of success. Because I think there's just so much stuff which tends to happen in the supply chain. And there are so many distractions that unless you're very clear about how all of this fits together. You're at the mercy of the latest fancy whim or gizmo that happens to come along. And that's one of the things that I really liked about what you do, Dirk. Very nice, very well done. I, I want to hit upon one other quick element, which uh, I know you're equally passionate about, which is the relationship between technology and culture. Many of these game plan methodologies that you talked about you're trying to not just develop people, but you're also trying to inculcate a culture of continuous improvement and disruption. So, so talk to us about what specifically you do to build that culture in the organization. Yeah, maybe here I start with one example, also again, uh, underlining the link between technical capabilities and the organizational element. I mentioned before that we really broadly rolled out our let's say, online efficiency system. It's, again, part of our digital backbone linked to this two and a half years ago yeah. on global scale, everywhere mm -hmm. in one single way, in one mm -hmm. standard. And we connected this with um, a reload of our 
continuous improvement program. Other companies call it IWS or yeah. uh, some similar <laughs> Toyota production system yeah. in a light way, I would say. Yeah. Um, but here, of course, the technological and the organizational component got together. And guess what? Of course, the, the technology is a huge enabler to drive our reloaded production system, continuous mm. improvement program. Mm. And um, honestly, we, we always knew that our, our line efficiencies were not good because mm. we had manual recording and I don't know, 15 different definitions, but that we were really so bad. We only saw with the digital capabilities, but the team uh, did an amazing job. So within two years, we increased uh, more than 15 OE points. So yeah. we are still a good portion away from what you would call world-class standard, but we are on the way to this. And maybe another one, two years, we will be there, but on a global scale and fully leveraging um, our digital capabilities. I think here that is a great yeah. example how yeah. even beyond digital, connecting the dots and here linking organization, people with technology uh, can drive tremendous uh, benefits. Also, when we started rolling out our first applications on the digital backbone uh, linked to sustainability, Mm -hmm. uh, a few years back, I think YouTube was starting to get hip. So they started to uh, record the webinars, how to use the different screens and so on. Again, no rocket science, but yeah. then every week there was a new functionality published. And then so driving this capability um, and upskilling into the organization also is a tremendous accelerator. Next to the other fact, I said the organizational dimension. And then, of course, you can pull another lever, setting targets for the organization yeah. Of course, if you're able to link uh, concrete targets for the production team, yeah. for the logistic team, they have their KPIs, but with certain digital initiatives uh, yeah. optimizing uh, costs to serve to yeah. our customers, then you provide the guys the right, yeah. let's say, dashboard suite on yeah. our Wellspring platform, and then you drive penetration usage and, um, of course, benefits. So, yeah, it's a lot about combining and connecting these dots and elements in order yeah. to drive penetration benefits and also upgrade the organization and giving the opportunity to learn. Fascinating because it, it feeds upon each other. You've got uh, technology, which not just helps the business, it challenges people to come up with new ideas. And then of course, success breeds success. And then exactly. you know, it, it creates a positive spiral. And that's a fascinating example as well. Dirk, I now want to go back and, and have you share your insights and translate them into specific guidance for a broader listener. So before we leave this program, you've learned so many things in a fabulous career. What would be your advice to people who want to become the next Dirk Holbach? That's a good question. First of all, I'm, maybe some of the things would be good to take from my end, others probably not, but okay, that is a different story. No, but I think when it comes to progressing in the supply chain field and also maybe then linked with people development and sustainability and digital, the first thing is you should not be, let's say, shy. You should also not get frustrated too quickly because you need quite a high frustration tolerance in our business. Again, I think that is probably um, not exclusive to um, FMCG, but very much ingrained in our DNA. And I think the FMCG environment, uh, especially, and then also supply chain, offers such a broad range of opportunities, yeah. uh, starting from customer service, demand planning, supply planning, engineering, production, quality, safety, health, logistics, uh, so distribution. It's an amazing area. So I think it's a super playing field and playground to shape careers, also to start careers. And I see also more and more of my team, my people, also colleagues, really moving beyond 
supply chain because uh, not only uh, after this year uh, COVID, I think the term uh, is getting more and more popular and people also yeah. more and more understand yeah. supply chains are becoming more and more critical also to business success. Oh, so absolutely. in that sense, yeah. um, I think from being a backbone of a business, let's say many supply chains, and we are also trying to do this, I don't say that we are achieving this every day, developing points of differentiation yeah. where really yeah. the supply chains can contribute also yeah. to uh, the business growth enabling business uh, and not just making it happen. So with new product introduction, innovation, we discussed about sustainability. So here really I see the world has changed in our profession tremendously over the last years and there are many more great things ahead of us. That's for sure. And I think your advice around patience, around people development and about possibility reimagination is fabulous advice to our listeners. Dirk, I have to say it's been an incredible pleasure to speak with you and to learn behind the scenes on how you've brought about all of this transformation in Henkel. So thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, dear Tony, also thanks for having the opportunity um, to share a bit of our humble journey to the future, many more things to come, and we will try to give our best in that sense too. Thank you very much. Wow. I think that's not just great leadership, but also a lot of humility thrown in there. I'm sure we're all going to be following you and your work in this space for many years to come. Thank you again, Dirk. And for all of our listeners out there, I believe this is going to be our last episode of 2020. It's been um, an interesting year, but we're really glad that you came along with us on our journey. As always, make sure you subscribe to our show to keep getting new updates. And until next time, don't just implement planning, redefine it. Thank you for listening to Masters of Digital Transformation. For more information, be sure to check out www.09solutions.com slash aim10x.